Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hey, Lazy Geniuses, I'm Kendra Adachi, and you're listening to the Lazy Genius Podcast. Here, we help you be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. This is season one, episode six, and my guest today is Chad Smith. You might not know Chad, but I bet you know his wife, Vanester. She is my house muse, and possibly yours too. But her husband, Chad, is such a delight of a man. Today we talk about raising kids, especially raising boys, and Chad shares his years of wisdom as a parent, as a youth pastor, as a coach. He's done it all and been around teenagers for longer than like most teenagers have been alive. There's some awesome advice here, and I'm so excited for you to hear it. It's too bad you could stay outside. Maybe I could hear a rooster or something. Oh yeah, cows and all of it. Did you uh, get your geese. Did you get your goats yet? No, I think we're going to have to wait on that. As much as I would love to have them, um, just you know, I don't know why. Maybe just for ambiance. Right. Um, <laughs> I've never heard or, of anyone wanting goats for ambiance. That's awesome. <laughs> the just the whole idea of like, well. Um, yeah, it's, that's one of the things when you try to describe to people where you live and, you know, it's like, well, we have 12 acres. Well, 12 acres of what, you know, well, it's property, but like, well, it's, um, it's kind of a farm. Oh, well, what do you do? Well, we don't farm anything. Right. We don't, <laughs> we don't have a garden. And we don't have animals that would be considered farm animals outside the fact that we have six chickens. So, but that's about as close as we get. So I kind of feel like I need to, that feeling or that idea of farm, you know, I need to stuff it with a little bit of uh, substance. Right. So the idea of maybe having some goats is, um, you know, that makes my description of where I live a little bit more validated right because you can just what do you do on your farm we have goats boom conversation over (laughs) like it's fixed yeah so do you have animals yes we have a dog and two cats and that's like well i have that in my apartment in the middle of manhattan (laughs) you know so i have to say things like well we have chickens and you know and we have goats 
oh, now you're in a different league. Right. Oh, yeah, you are on a farm. Right. You know? So, um, but no, I kind of feel like, too, they can be um, grass cutters uh, the old natural way. Because totally. um, I would put them in the pasture and I wouldn't have to concern myself with bush hogging that and uh, which is another thing, too. I don't have a tractor. I mean, we're going on living out here three years, and I can't get my wife to, you know, swing swing a tractor because we keep putting our money in other things like, you know, decorating the house and all that <laughs> stuff. I don't know what, what good that does, you know, other than pay some mortgage on this. But, I mean, why does that matter, you know? So... That was so uh, good. The, the nester, the nester can't quite come around to, you know, her, her, you know, she needs to understand, you know, where we live and the property and all that. So right. I'm, I'm poking. I'm poking I know fun. you're totally poking fun. It's too funny. It's too funny. Do you, um, do you happen to watch uh, Shark Tank? Yes, we we love Shark Tank and we love um, the profit. Yeah. Oh, we Cos love loves the profit Mar- too. Marcus. So yeah. we love watching that. The boys, the boys like watching it, and they like watching Shark Tank too. Um, but they love the idea of, you know, like one of the things that we notice is just how really dumb people are with um, <laughs> with their decisions. Um, right. Especially, it's shocking to me to know that there's business owners in this country that have no clue how to balance books and know what P&L statements are and the fact that you're you're bleeding money but you won't change what you're doing. And so, um, you know, just things like that. That's more on the profit show where he has to kind of shake some reality into him. But on the Shark Tank, we like it just because it's a little bit more uh, inspirational that invention is, is, is that right? Necessity is the mother of invention. And so the idea that most of these people have come from a place of, they just got frustrated with something that wasn't working or they uh, tried and tried and figured out that there's nothing out there that can solve this problem. So I will be the one to solve this. And so that's very inspirational to watch the shark tank until, um, you know, a couple of them shoot them down and say, this is, you know, the most dumbest thing on the planet. But um, it's still fun. It's still fun to watch. So, yeah, we're big fans of both of those. You said you watch that with your kids, right? With your boys. Mm-hmm. Is that something, um, because I've gotten a lot of questions and grant, okay, okay, so I've gotten a lot of questions for, from some readers about what to talk to your older kids about. Um, and I think I'm sure a lot of it depends on just kind of the nature of your family dynamic, you know, like if you've got kids who are talkers or not, or, but I've got, my boys are four and six and then, you know, we're due with a little girl in like five minutes. And so, um, I wonder that sometimes because, you know, right now they want to talk to me about school. You know, they want to talk to me like I'm cool. Um, do you find... Um, what's that transition been like for you and your family and your sons? So tell me how old the boys are. Well, they're not really boys so much anymore, but like, tell me how old they are and like, do things like that, like watching the profit, like watching Shark Tank, talking about people and their decision-making. Like, is that something that you are able to sort of, um, does that stimulate conversation or is that just sort of part of how your family works? Yeah. So, so let's do the first thing first. Three boys, um, 
We have one that's uh, heading out the door. Uh, he's 18. He's a senior in high school and um, very, uh, very bright boy. So every mom and dad like to brag about their kids. I will tell you, I'm not kind of one of those people that like overindulges that because I have been around between student ministry, teaching in the school system, you know, as two careers, and then coaching a lot. Just that's sort of the last 30 years of my life of, you know, being around students a lot. And I have encountered so many parents uh, in all of those contexts that um, it, it's, I have found that more of my uh, frustrations and confrontations that I had in any of those fields, whether I was a teacher, whether I was a coach, or whether I was in student ministry as a pastor, um, almost overwhelmingly the majority of time, my confrontation or frustration or conflict came from the parent, not the kid. Hmm. Usually, if there was something going on, I could talk to the kid and figure it out and everything, but it was usually the parents that I wanted to strangle, you know, like, oh my gosh, like you're not getting this. And so I say that in the context of um, I want to be someone who thinks my boys and um, and say truth about them, but I'm not going to be fluffy, fluffy and be one of these parents that, you know, um, always the greatest kid, best looking kid. He's like, you know, I don't, I don't get into that junk. So, what, have, what have you seen? Um, what have you seen from your experience? Like what is, what's the result of that for a lot of kids just in general, if their parents are approaching them that way? Um, it's a cultural term. Uh, if you're in any type of, uh, child psychology or ministry or whatever to, uh, children or kids, uh, the helicopter parents. Mm-hmm. The parent who is just hovering and is afraid to let them out the door to go to go down ride their bike down the street because in their mind and they've watched too much TV and read too many you know um, books or magazines or news conferences that you know uh, some guy in a white van is going to come up and take them and then their life is over and so uh, there's this hovering and then there's the other side of the parent who uh, vicariously something in their life, uh, whether it be sports or art or dance or whatever, that somehow they didn't cut the cheese, they didn't kind of make it or they didn't fulfill their dream. And so now there's this push to vicariously live through their kid and to put their kid on every track possible to kind of, well, I didn't make it to that level, but you are, and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure you make it to that level, even to the point that kind of what I'm talking about in extreme cases, that they kind of go loopy and they, you know, spend absurd amounts of money for them to have the best or to do this. And then there's this idea of I settle into, you know, viewing my kid as, well, he's the best or mm-hmm. he deserves this. or So So you have one side where just in general parenting, you get it mostly from, from parents with younger kids, real children, that there's this, you know, a little boy falls off the steps, his knee, and you would think that we need to rush him to the hospital for emergency surgery. And so I'm not 
thinking that a parent needs to be cold or crass or, you know, um, insensitive, but this, you know, sort of over-emotional reaction to, uh, oh, dear, and then they got to hold him for the next hour. Mm-hmm. You know, like that stuff like that, just like, okay, you are setting this kid up. And I know I'm being very opinionated, but I have seen you know in just all these years and so what happens is I dealt with a lot of high schoolers I taught um, high schoolers when I was in the school system Um, I leaned more into my uh, high school age when I was doing student ministry I had more volunteers that did the middle school so I leaned more directly into interacting with high school which I love and so I would have students that I could get to know them and I could tell somewhere in the past, somewhere down the road in the past, I could see some of these um, interactions from the parent side that has sort of uh, reared this kid that we have now that we're dealing with. Mm. Okay. So then let me, let me ask you this as, because I've got these little kids and you've got these big kids. Um, Okay. So your, your oldest one is out the door. Your oldest one's 18. How old are the other two? Yes. Uh, the middle one is 15, Uh um, almost to be 16 in a couple of months. Uh, and then the next one down for that, he's, they were Irish twins, uh, 12 months apart. So then I have a 14 year old Nice. and one month later after that, in three months, he will be 15. So I have a almost 15, almost 16 and I have an 18 year old. Okay. So So I need, so, so tell me, because I don't feel like I am a loopy parent. I don't think I've gone, I've gone there. I feel like, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just love my kids. Well, I want them to know that, um, when they come home, it's a safe place and all of that stuff, but they're so little and they don't really, you know, they're not really experiencing a lot of the things that kids will as they get older. Um, but like, Mm -hmm. for example, so here, here's what I want you to, here's what I want you to help me and other kind of like normal parents who are in the middle, who aren't loopy, who aren't helicopter parents who are, but who are, are afraid of maybe becoming that, you know, like there's always this fear of like, I don't want to, I mean, we're going to screw up our kids. That's kind of, I've sort of like, I've kind of leaned into that a little bit. Like, it's cool. If my kids need therapy, that's okay. I use therapy and I love my parents. Like, it's really fine. Um, but I've sort of accepted, um, taking the pressure off myself. Like if every single, if I measure, well, not if I measure every word, but if I analyze every single word that I say to my kid, um, and you know, like move into every interaction, like, okay, I have to do this exactly right. Um, I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm not with them, you know, I'm not present with them. I'm not showing them that people can screw up and that people can apologize and people can become closer when gross things happen. And, you know, like, um, just trying to be a person with your kids is a, is a lot trickier than I thought it would be. So like, okay. Mm -hmm, So for example, mm -hmm. my, my uh, oldest son is in kindergarten. He is, um, precious and social. He loves to, he will talk to a tree. He just loves people. And, um, and so he can't quite, (laughs) he's just now starting to kind of grasp, um, that not everyone likes him. Um, he's not like, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody thinks I'm the coolest. He just likes everybody. So the concept of someone not liking everybody or not liking him is so foreign to his sweet little brain. And so, um, there is like, there's a, a girl in his school and, um, and, 
she's not terribly nice to him. She clearly doesn't really like him. She says he talks too much, which he kind of does. Like he talks a lot. It's fine. Um, but you know, he has said a couple of times, you know, like, I don't understand why she doesn't like to talk to me or, um, maybe I just need to talk to her more. Like he's trying to kind of solve this problem. And there's this gut, there's this, like, there's this mama bear in me that just wants to go smack Mm -hmm. her and be like, be nice to my kid. Like, what is your problem? Mm -hmm. You're five years old. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's this other side that, um, you know, like, yeah, he's only six, but, um, he's already, he's going to have to learn how to navigate his relationships without me there. Um, and so just, so I'm already with a kindergartner, like, I don't want to, I don't want to mess him up. I don't want to like swoop into the, the situation and like try to fix it. I want to, you know, like equip him and encourage him to be able to be himself, um, and be kind and loving to other people, even when they're not kind to him. But that is a really challenging thing. (laughs) That's a really challenging thing to try to teach your kid. Um, so so whether it's to that specific situation or really to anything else, like, um, just in general, like, are there things that you have learned as a parent, um, where you thought, Oh, this is, I, I thought this way for a while about parenting and I wish I hadn't done that. Or, or, um, I see parents, you know, thinking this way, like normal parents kind of thinking this way. And I feel like we need to take this road instead. Like, what can we do a wise, um, father of teenagers, what can we do with these little kids to, um, to kind of get to a point where when they're older, it's not even just that they're, you know, confident in who they are, but like, um, maybe the question of like, what do I talk to my kids about? Maybe that's not even really an issue anymore because you just have relationships with your kids. You know, you've just developed relationships with your kids over the years and blah, blah, blah. That's a lot of words. Do you have any thoughts for me on that? No, no, I, I totally, um, I totally agree, uh, that, you know, what you're saying with the, the inclination, the natural inclination for parents, especially for younger kids, I would say anything from 10, 11, probably as much as 12 years old, our inclination to be the hovering parent, uh, and maybe not that extreme, but just to be the caring, uh, defender and savior. And like you said, the mama bear wants to go in. Sometimes mama bear goes in angry rather than loving, right. uh, to, <laughs> to protect and defend. And, um, I, I think that that's a stronger inclination, probably, you know, from birth up to 10, 11 years old. Uh, you would hope level-minded parents start figuring out as they enter that middle school age that there's a little bit of letting letting go and sort of um, and they're they're responding to you with a little bit more maturity in being aware of themselves and things like that. I mean that begins to happen. You you would hope mm-hmm. uh, for for the most part most kids um, you know at that age. So going back to what you're saying, uh, you know, uh, loaded question with, um, you know, what, what have I seen or what have, you know, what, what I have done different. I, I, you know, uh, I was talking with someone the other day who's actually a peer of mine. I mean, we went to high school together and we're good buddies, but he chose, um, to marry a little later. And so he's got younger kids and I shared with him, I do know that in a general broad stroke that um, 
when I went through the Grace Lock counseling stuff probably about five years ago, six years ago, uh, here in Charlotte, and then went on to go through um, to be certified as a counselor with them, um, it changed. There were some things in Grace Life that obviously I learned about myself, but it actually, uh, there was a book that we read that totally transformed my view of parenting. And I kind of wish, and of course, you know, don't want to live in regrets, but you kind of learn something, and when something's new and re- refreshing to you, you're kind of like, wow, I I wish I could have gone back in those previous, you know, years, uh, especially in their early childhood, and, and been more of this type of parent or, or probably, you know, applied these principles. Um, would it have changed? I don't know. I mean, it could have changed a, a, a dynamic maybe a little bit more, but um, but we immediately, as middle schoolers at that time, when that happened, they were all in middle school. At that time, we immediately started applying some of these principles, and we saw uh, almost overnight, and I would say, literally speaking, it would be within a few weeks, we noticed a different dynamic in our family. Wow. And so, um, and so a couple of principles, you know, with that, is the idea of parenting that I learned in that that was sort of new and refreshing to me is that I my goal is to not raise an obedient child. That was one of the most transformational things to me is that my goal as a parent is not to get my kid to do everything that I want him to do. And and that that can be that can be controversial in itself with a lot of parents that are concerned about that. But what that, what that does, what that says to me and what, what kind of unfolded with the book and with the conversation that we had around the book was the idea that how um, the principle there of if I get my kids from all the years that they're under my roof before they go out on their own, if I get my kid at the end of that period of time to have done everything that I asked them to do, and they became the most obedient child, okay? Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, I got them to do that, but I had no relationship with them. Would, what kind of parent would that be? Right. You know, what kind of situation would that have been? And what I realized is that as you look at how God dealt with Israel in the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, compared to when Christ came and there was a new covenant, the new covenant of relationship, then... You know, um, we we began to, to unfold that and say that it was to the heart. God went to the heart with um, when he sent Christ. And so now there's this idea that, look, I do want you to obey because my principles are true and right and life-giving. But what I want most of all is for you to know that I love you and I want a heart-to-heart connection with you. Because when you are connected at the heart, then the obedience comes a little naturally. Now, the caveat with that is you got a kid who is sinful and has to experiment and has to come into themselves as they mature. And so the second principle I would say um, is that it's okay to have a kid be stuck hmm. and, and not think that we have to save them and not allow them time to kind of figure things out. Now, um, 
you know, a couple examples that I'm not saying in extreme. So if your kid, if your little boy, you know, five-year-old boy is riding his tricycle out in the driveway and he wants to experiment about how it would be to ride out in the middle of the road, I'm not saying that, you know, to mm-hmm. give him freedom to do that. that. Don't don't take me in extremes. And neither do I need to expose my boy uh, to binge drinking to show him the horrible effects of alcohol and not to be an alcoholic. I, you know, let's let's be level-headed here about what I'm saying. But mm-hmm. what what I am saying is that parents think so much, um, especially Christian parents that think they have to have a Bible verse for every situation. Mm-hmm you know, to help a kid who's maybe having a little love bug problem with the, you know, the girl or the boy they like at school. and Or maybe your situation where a kid, you know, um, feels like there's someone who's being, you know, mean to them at school. And how do I respond to these? Um, uh, I think there's definitely need for conversation and to work through some of that. But sometimes it's okay to allow them to kind of just be stuck with that and keep the conversation going, but um, and I'd throw in a third principle uh, as well, um, and that is ask more questions than make statements. Hmm. That's, uh, good. that's probably been one of the hugest things to me in dealing with my boys that I regret that I did not do early. Um, is that probably about late middle school, and especially over Landis's high school years. Um, I think our relationship has improved a little bit by me just learning to parent a little bit different the way my dad and mom parented me, particularly my dad. And I love him. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And so, but he, you know, he had quirkiness about himself and there was this idea that they were very concerned about what other people thought growing up in the Baptist church. And I had a lot of pressure on me. And so there was, there was never conversation with me. It was always this is, you should do this, and if you don't do this, there's a consequence. Hmm. And so there was no relationship there uh, at, at times, you know. And so once this book sort of unfolded some of those things, I began to really, you know, um, he might would share something, my son would share something, and instead of me saying, well, I think you should blah, 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 because that's what the Bible says, I would say, well, how does that make you feel, and what do you think is the right thing to do? And even if he says the wrong answer, well, I think I'd like to just go punch the guy. Okay? <laughs> well, if you, you know, if you do that, what, what do you think is going to happen? Right. Well, I'll, I'll probably go to the office, blah, 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 blah. But I don't care. Okay, well, let me just tell you, you need to think long and hard about that because just going to the office could bear some great consequences. And being willing to just cool down and hold back and hear what they've got to say because a lot of times, I found teenagers particularly are not really going to follow through with a lot of what they say. Hmm. They're testing to see if you respect them wanting to just blab and say what's on their mind or what, if you're going to have a reaction to their shock and awe statement. And so many parents overreact that I think that they say too, they make too many statements rather than be willing to go into that real messy, squishy area mm. um, of asking questions and be willing to be kind of soft on the response to those questions. That's really good. I, I've never actually heard. Oh, well, first thing, is the book Loving Your Kids on Purpose? Is that the book you read? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That book is fantastic. Yes. It's, it is. It's It's like transformational. It's so simple. 
Um, but I, that's the one thing that I walked away with the first time I read it too. And I need to read it again. Cause the first time I read it, I had one kid and he was two. So it's like, you know, oh sure, yeah. there wasn't as much I could really apply at the time. But the thing that I walked away with was, yeah, our goal is to not raise obedient, compliant children. And that just blew my mind. It just was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't heard anyone really say, um, what you just said about, with the questions and the statements, but the kids, especially teenagers, they're really not going to follow through on a lot of the things they say. And, um, I was involved in high school ministry for, um, 10 years and you're absolutely right. I never really connected those dots, but they're just processing. Like they're just saying words and, um, mm-hmm. and what a gift to give them to be comfortable with them and let them be comfortable with themselves to say these sticky things that, um, yeah, they're trying to get a response or maybe they're trying to understand their own response, you know, like hearing it kind of out loud and saying it to a person, like, I just want to punch the guy. Um, you know, you can, there's, there's something about saying words out loud that can either take away their power or can empower them even more. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so it could be that like, what a, what a wonderful gift to give your kids just to have a conversation with them about that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And to mm-hmm. not, like you said, to not, um, to let them stay stuck. Like it's okay to let them stay stuck. That's just really, really great. That's really great. And, and I will, I will piggyback off that. I know you may have some other questions, <laughs> but I know kind of one primary question you sent me. Um, I think you even kind of said it a little bit ago. We may have gone a little bit of different direction, but there, one of the primary questions you said is like, I get listeners asked about, um, how do I have conversations at the dinner table with my older kids, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. And I thought about that and a little bit of kind of what we've just shared in the last minute or two. Um, I will tell you something that's very powerful that you don't even have to uh, say or doesn't require words is I would question um, the parents, um, especially dads um, and or if it involves boys, or young men, um, is what type of physical touch are you providing to them? Um, That goes a long way. Um, And it doesn't have to be like this cheesy, you know, I'm going to go over and hug my 17-year-old kid like, you know, like I'm going to hug my wife on our wedding day kind of thing. (laughs) But it, it can be a father just going over and respecting and esteeming him as a young man and doing maybe what you would do uh, if you were a man doing to you know, a work colleague or a, a golfing buddy. And that is, you know, just put your hand on your shoulder or just sort of tap them on the back and, and, and have eye contact with them. I mean, that's something as I've gotten older, um, here's something crazy, the craziest thing in the world. And I think, I don't know where it started. I, I, I have a feeling it started about three years ago when our oldest, because um, we're crazy parents and probably would get arrested for a lot, but we sent our boy off to some uh, program that he went, he loves uh, marine life and dolphins and studying, you know, aquatic life. And so there's a program, a very nationally recognized program out of, uh, of all places, Raleigh, but they do high school, college trips all over the world. And he went to Belize for three weeks. He didn't know anybody. We didn't know anybody. I mean, we did our due diligence, but 
Um, but I mean, he, we didn't know like a friend going or anything. And he treks off and goes around the world to Belize for three weeks. We, I think we talked to him once each week or every four or five days. That's it. And, um, Anyway, had a wonderful trip and learned a lot, got some college credit for it, and da, da, da. But when he came back, I think, I'm thinking that it was about that time that something happened in a dynamic that had never been present before, at least as them as teenagers, um, that every night before he goes to bed um, and before he leaves for school in the morning, they did it this morning, is he comes up and hugs us. He hugs me. Hmm. Okay. A, an 18-year-old boy who comes over and hugs me. Okay, so that's pretty crazy. And the other two don't really do that. They watch their brother do it. They don't do it. But I'll tell you this. I have um, I have kind of our own unique with each of the others. I have our own unique handshakes, kind of like our little, you know, South Central L.A. kind of, right. you know, uh, the Bronx kind of thing. Right. And I have one for my youngest. I have one for my middle. And it may sound cheesy, but that's that's about the extent of the physical touch that we get. But it's us. It's mm. our thing. And it's an expression, a nonverbal expression of, you know what, you and I are okay. Mm. And I love you. And it might be a little weird, creepy for you right now. And I get that. I respect that for you to say, I love you, Dad. You know, um, I want them to hear it from me, but I don't expect it back. But when we do that handshake kind of thing, we do it you know, before they go ahead. They walk out the door of school. We do it. So it's a couple times a day. But it's our unique kind of agreement, our thing, that you and I are okay. I've just learned that the greatest thing that I can do for a dad, as a dad, to helping my boys is not just having my own agenda of, of you know, expressing that to them, but just sort of saying, okay, if you're comfortable with a cool handshake, then if it's our handshake together, then that's what we're going to do, you know. And, you know, I'm going to put my hand on you, on your shoulder. I might not embrace you, but we'll put my hand on my shoulder and I'm going to respect you as a man if, you know, how are you doing today? Like, talk to them as you would talk to your friends if, if they're older, mm-hmm. you know. Um, don't don't baby file. I enjoy, I enjoy having conversations with you about people because you're a relational person. Um, and you, you, you see people really well. Like, um, you, it's, I don't even know if you remember this or not. You were one of the first people, um, I was at uh, your house at the barn doing some of it. I don't remember what the event was. Um, but you were one of the first people that I told about the lazy genius that wasn't like, you know, like my family or my best friends or something. And I yeah. didn't really have an idea. Like, I ha- well, I had an idea. I had, like, an overarching, like, I just feel like people are trying so hard. And I, I want to help them, like, stop trying so hard about all these stupid things. And, um, oh, and, sure. and yeah. I had had, um, I had had conversations, um, I think, just the week before um, uh, with some people who I, like, totally respect. And, um, like, we have a mutual respect. It was, you know, really great. But but trying to kind of share um, this like ambiguous, unformed idea of what I wanted to do. And, um, and it's not, I don't know it's that they didn't get it, but, um, part of it is I just hadn't articulated it very well. I didn't really know what I was 
trying to create. Um, but, and so it was those conversations that I had with those people were, were a little discouraging. Like, am I a crazy person? Like, I feel like this makes sense in my head, but I feel like it just landed on deaf ears right there. And I don't really know what to do with this. And then I was at your house and, um, and shared some of it with you. And it was like, you got it from the beginning. And, um, which was so encouraging to me. So I was like, Chad's like a normal, smart person. And he understands what I'm talking about. This is so good. Um, but that was one (laughs) thing that was really, that I've seen in, in, in the couple of times that we've been able to interact and I've seen you interact with others is that, um, uh, and, and obviously I see this in what you're talking about with your kids is there's something so important about seeing people, um, not just through your own, the lens of your own agenda or, or your own personality, even all the time, like just to be able to look cleanly at a person with empathy, um, in whatever kind of situation. And just to be able to say like, what you're feeling right now is valid. And even if maybe Mm -hmm. I wouldn't feel that way in the same situation, that doesn't mean that you need to change. Um, like my, for example, my four-year-old is, um, we call him angry sugar. His name is Ben, mm-hmm. but his nickname is Angry Sugar because he is either the sweetest, most precious little boy who you just want to steal, or he will punch you in the face. Like there's not a lot mm-hmm. of middle ground with him. And, um, and so he's just really emotional. And, um, and one day we were at the store and he did what a lot of little ones do. He just decided I'm not walking anymore because I don't want to leave or I don't, whatever, whatever we were doing, he did not want to do. And so he just stopped. He sat in the floor like a rock and started to sob. And, um, Uh and I thought, okay. And of course there's all these people around. And, um, and so I started to think that, um, like what you were saying before about your folks, like we, we really do worry about what people think, you know, that's such a, Mm -hmm. an ingrained thing. And I'm like, oh man, I'm that mom. Everyone's like, she has no control over her kid, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. And, um, and then I just put that aside. (laughs) So I just put that aside and, you know, I feel, I feel really, um, um, grateful that I was able to put it aside in that moment. But, um, but I thought, okay, he's sad. Like he's genuinely sad. This is not like a power trip thing. Like part of it is he's four, but he's really sad. He doesn't want to leave or he doesn't want to go where we're going. And so I squatted down and I said, Hey Ben, are you sad? He said, yeah. And I said, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I was like, it's okay to be sad. You don't need to like, you're not in trouble for feeling sad. And I didn't say anything else. And, um, and he like kind of took a breath and he sniffed and I said, um, can we leave even though you're sad? Like, it's okay. You don't have to be happy for us to leave. And he said, okay, mommy. And he stood up and he was still crying, but he held my hand and we left. And I just, it kind of blew my mind that that little moment of just validating him, not being like, you're being silly, get off the ground or picking him up and just dragging him out. Like just looking at him like a per, even though he's four, like treating him like a person and seeing that he was genuinely mm-hmm. sad in that moment, it changed him. He was willing to mm-hmm. come with me. And, um, because it was, it wasn't that it was necessarily on his own terms, but I feel like he felt like he was seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's such a, um, that's such a need that we all have. We just want to be seen for who we are and not always have to be fixed. And, um, whether that's in our, our marriages with our kids, with our friends, with our parents, whatever it is, like we just want to be understood. Um, and in turn, it takes, a, it can take a lot of practice to kind of retrain ourselves to see people the way we want to be seen, you know, to like, 
to move into those relationships and be like, okay, this is not about me right now. I want to understand what's going on with you. It doesn't matter how I feel about this in this moment, you know, and, um, that's a hard thing to do as people. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. I don't know if you've checked out my website lately, but she just got an upgrade and we did it with Squarespace. With Squarespace, it is so easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. My team recently updated our Squarespace site to use Fluid Engine, a next generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag and drop technology for desktop or mobile. It's seriously so cool. It's mobile layout display. It lets us see what people see on their own mobile devices as we make edits and updates. And 78% of you visit the site on your mobile device. So making sure what you see looks and performs the way it's meant to matters to me. If you want to build a new website, try out Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash lazy genius to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This episode is brought to you by Rosetta Stone. Last year, Kaz and I went to Italy and holy moly, what a trip. The museums, the food, the culture. At least once a week, I still think about the gelato. One thing that would have been nice, though, is to know actual Italian. We used translation apps and we made it work, but I love that I can start learning new languages for future trips now with Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with 25 languages to choose from. I can learn on the go with downloadable offline lessons in the app or at my desktop. My favorite feature, though, is true accent, which gives me feedback on how well I'm pronouncing words as I'm learning them. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Lazy Genius podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com genius. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com genius today. I found Olive in June in 2020 when we were all looking for new hobbies and things to do. Well, now almost four years later, doing my nails at home with my daughter, Annie, and Olive and June's Manny system is still one of the things I look forward to every week. Olive and June makes it easy to get a salon-worthy manicure from the comfort of your home. The Manny system has everything you need in one box, salon-grade tools designed just for DIY, and your choice of six polish colors. And y'all, the colors they make are stunning. Annie and I just tried out their new colors for Valentine's day i'm wearing love note a sparkly nude that matches my skin tone and annie is wearing bouquet a shimmery pink that matches her personality plus olive and june's polish is chip resistant and lasts for seven days visit oliveandjune.com slash lazy genius for 20 percent off your first manny system that's o-l-i-v-e-a-n-d-j-u-n-e.com slash l-a-z-y-g-e-n-i-u-s for 20 percent off your first manny system This episode is sponsored by Ritual. The days are getting longer, but it's still tough to get the recommended vitamin D from sunshine alone, not to mention the risks we take with sun exposure. That's why I love that my multivitamin is helping me out. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus, that's the one I take, was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. And for someone like me who likes to move but has glass knees, I'll take all the extra support from my multivitamin I can get. Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project verified, flute and major allergen free, and gentle on an empty stomach. Plus, each bottle has a minty essence that makes taking them actually enjoyable. 
No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash lazy genius. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash lazy genius for 20% off. Right. And, and the whole, one of the foundational points of the book, you know, that loving our kids on purpose um, is the idea that we, we really should be parenting in a way that God parents us and, and the patience that he had with Israel and the, um, the idea that he wasn't crass to say, well, I don't care how you feel right now. I've got to get you to the promised land. It's like he even allowed to make some poor choices. Now, there were consequences to those because he was still in control, but he allowed them to say, oh, okay, if you're going to do that, well, then guess what? If you're going to do that, you have every right and freedom to do that, but just know that I'm going to do this, you know? And I think the, the failure to for parents, what it is, is like, I will be okay if you will just do what I say, and if you don't, then I have a fear and so what happens when we react out of fear? You know, that's, that's sort of a, uh, uh, a dialogue in itself. But when we react out of fear, we, we usually are making some very poor choices. And, you know, specifically in this category, parenting choices, um, it, it severs the relationship even more. So uh, contrary to your situation where you chose, you wanted him to get up and get out of there, but you took a moment to validate his feelings and say, you know, and, and maybe it would have gone a different direction. Maybe he would have sat there and then started getting a little bit more ornery. Right. You know, and at, that, at that point, you know, it's like, okay, well, here's the deal. You know, um, you can sit here and and be that way, but if you choose to make, you know, if you choose that that's your choice, then I will have to do something uh you know, for, for the best of both of us, you know, we, we can't sit in the middle of the aisle, right. you know, this is not home. This is a public place. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, you know, we, we don't need to go down that path, but just the idea that, um, being willing to validate the feelings, being willing to validate the personhood of someone and to know that something's hard right now or you are angry about something. You know, I, I learned in my Grace Life stuff that feelings are are really neither good or bad. They're just indicators of how we're processing our experience. You know, um, we are emotional people. Um, God created us to be that way. But what gets us in trouble sometimes is that we live out of our emotions. And that's not that's not how God intended us for the you know for us to to make decisions so um if we kind of keep that in mind of just like well look how many times i'm ornery on a daily basis with god you know it's like and look at his loving kindness and his patience and his you know even sometimes there's this, this consequence to my decisions that are that's a natural outflow if i make a poor decision but that's that's just the way life is so how do i transfer that into taking a moment in a messy moment and dealing with my kid um, by validating him, but yet knowing that I still have to parent, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's where it's not easy. You know, um, it's not easy. Yeah. And I find that many parents approach parenting thinking 
it's one, two, three, and I'll do this, and everything will be fine. And, oh, boy, if it's not, then my automatic resolution is, you know, spanking or timeout or, you know, grounding or whatever. And there's no conversation. There's no, how did you feel? Okay, I want to understand how you're feeling. I know you're angry. I know you're sad. Or I know Bob. there's no interaction. And then they wonder why they have no relationship or they can't get respect. Which right. I'll throw in something I've learned in student ministry. I don't believe, believe it or not, I don't believe that there's uh, such a thing as a rebellious teenager. Um, I don't believe in that term. What I do believe is that there's angry uh, teenagers that are letting that anger out because um, they're crying out for someone to just at least take a minute and hear them out and to understand that either through their experience or through their uh, presumption of something that hasn't happened yet, they have a lot of emotions with their, you know, with themselves that they, they're still undeveloped, you know, their brain's not even developed yet. Right. And, um, and so I think that we, especially with teenagers, we don't, we, we don't talk to them as adults and, and, and respect them to just hear them out. And that doesn't mean that we let them do what they want, but, you know, we don't, we're not patient enough as parents or youth workers or pastors or whoever to just talk to them and, and let them, you know, tell us how they're feeling. Right. And so anyway, I think, um, that's really good. And this, what I wanted to respond to that, will kind of segue into just, um, quickly into kind of relationships, like friendships, because, um, I think that when we're parents, we see our job as like solving problems, like solving our mm-hmm. kids' problems. And, um, mm-hmm. and that is not, that's not always the, you know, situation or, um, that's not even our role, you know, like, cause we're not going to always exactly. be there to solve their problems. And, um, but there is something about, um, being comfortable. I think people are, are too uncomfortable sitting, not just in silence, but in, um, lack of resolution. Um, like if, if a friend, if your kid or if a friend, um, comes to you with something really difficult or, or even, even not difficult, just something that, um, that is, is messy to them. That's making them unsettled in some way. Um, we, we kind of automatically want to fix it because we want the people we love to be happy. And, um, and it's really, which is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's something so hard about just sitting and, um, not saying anything or, um, like I just, I have, um, recently in the last couple of years have, and even a couple of months, my little niece got um, diagnosed with cancer just a couple of weeks ago and, um, she's Mm. four and, um, and, and I've, you know, I've had friends who have had cancer and, and, um, and all kinds of like hard things, but there's something we have this automatic again, again, especially in, in the Christian world is we have this automatic response of like, you know, oh, well, um, God's got everything in control or, um, God's going to work everything out. Or, you know, it's, it almost sounds like these platitudes that we sort of give people because we are so uncomfortable sitting with them when they say that they're angry about something like that. If Mm -hmm. your kid says, I want to punch that guy, 
you would be like, no, no, you can't punch that guy. Or if your mm-hmm. friend says, I don't know, I feel like God has abandoned us. This is so mm-hmm. hard right now. I feel like he's abandoned us. And our, our response is, oh no, he's not abandoned you. Like we react rather than being like, mm-hmm. I can understand why you would feel that way. Um, because it makes us uncomfortable. Exactly. Exactly. And so, um, there's something, <laughs> there's something inherently, um, beautifully difficult about being a person because, um, we, we can find, like you said, um, we want steps one, two, three, if we do a B will happen. And, um, and we want that in all of our relationships. I think, you know, like if you, um, like if you can just find a friend who, um, or even like, we'll, we'll talk about like your marriage. Like if you're like, well, if you go out on a date, um, if you have a date night every week and if you did it, you know, like you list all these things, like if you do these things, then your relationship is going to be fine. Um, mm-hmm. and that is just not to me, that's not how my life has ever worked. Like putting in mm-hmm. these, um, placeholders, these relationship placeholders, they have never, ever worked. And, um, and so, um, I wanted to ask you, this is like a shoo segue, but about, about friendship too. Cause I know you're a relational person. Um, and I also know you guys have moved a lot. Um, and so when, when life kind of becomes unsettled and, um, I've thought about this with friendships and I had a reader, um, named Hannah, who was asking about this. I think she either has recently moved or maybe this has been part of her thing, but being a friend, being a grown up friend, um, is a lot. It's been a lot harder for me than I thought it would be like just in the last, I'm 34 years old, just in the last five years or so, have I really started to make my friends that I'm like, Oh, this is what friendship looks like. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting thing because everyone told me, you know, um, high school is the best, they're the best years of your life. And then when you go to college, you're going to make your best friends ever. For some people that might be true. Um, it was absolutely Mm -hmm. not true for me. And, um, and so just kind of the, um, I mean, I have like friends from college that I still talk to, but, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's a different, it's just been a different ball game of how, life is done. And so anyway, all that to say, um, I would love to hear if you have any thoughts on, um, being, being a friend, like the, being a friend to like your peers and what that looks like. Um, the messiness of that, you know, and like, what does it mean for you to be a good friend to a person, um, that might not look the same way that other people view adult friendship? Uh, oh boy. Well, I will tell you, it's been extremely difficult for, for us the last two years. Um, you know, even though we've moved, uh, see, we've been here three, going on three years. August will be three years out here on the, on the farm. On the farm. On the, whatever. <laughs> on the farm without animals, you know, without crops. So whatever. <laughs> the homestead. Um, I would, it's like we have neighbors out here in this rural, you know, farming community, crazy country, uh, Podunk County. Um, we have neighbors, but they're like, they all own land too. So they're, they're like up the road behind all their cornfields, you know, but it's like, we don't, we don't know them really. Um, our church environment is not one that's in this community. Um, again, there's lots of explanation on that, but basically, most of the churches out here are not in um, 
not a fit for our family in regards to their, you know, 150 year old churches and they're only 60 people and they're all over 80 years old. And I don't know <laughs> if they'll be around in the next five years, right. in these churches. And so, um, lots of reasons that way. So we're driving a little ways more into the city, into Charlotte area to uh, go to a church right now. And the reason we chose that uh, a, a little bit uh, connected with what your question is, is because when we did live more in the suburb uh, of the community that we were in, the church we went to, we, we got to know all these people. And so now we're driving quite a distance, um, you know, most Sundays, and, and mainly because we, you know, we want to see those friends again. Um, and so... I will say that it's been extremely hard for us uh, in the last couple of years, mainly because of the dynamic of not just, not that we've moved away from our friends, but it's the fact of where we live. It's been hard for us to kind of even make new friends because of the type of environment that we're in. Right. Um, you might see them at the local Walmart if you hit the right day, you know, um, the boys are to have friends uh, at the high school, but we don't really know the parents of those friends. Um, you know, it, you, we try, but it ha it's been a challenge. I don't have a huge answer for that in our present situation. Um, you know, uh, prior to that, we moved in areas that we were always in neighborhoods and we would just pick up friends and that kind of thing. Um, this has been a real challenge. And, you know, for me as an extrovert, uh, it can be especially challenging um, because one thing, you know, that I find that I do thrive off of is interaction with, you know, other, other guys, other friends. And, you know, we, um, we do have some friends that both, as a couple, like I like the husband and she likes the wife. And so, you know, sometimes that doesn't always, that dynamic always doesn't fit. Oh my know? word. Couple friends um, are no joke. Like that's right. like a unicorn right. search. I mean, it's so weird. <laughs> wow. Don't you know? I mean, there, how many times it's like the wives are friends like, Oh, you'll love so-and-so and you get together. And it's like, okay, this guy, I have nothing in common with this guy. And it's like, let's not do anything. You, you stay with your girlfriend and, um, and, and I'll just find my own guy friends or whatever, but, um, but there, there are some, uh, situations that we, you know, we've had that and what we've had to do, Kendra, and, it, and obviously we might be, I might be a, a rare bug in this, um, that most of your listeners might not be in the situation that we're in, uh, solely of where we live, you know, being a little bit more removed and in a rural area, area. but w what we've had to do is just, um, you know, thank goodness for the positive, uh, you know, aspects of technology that there's texting and, um, and email and things like that. And that you just have to be purposeful, um, to say that, you know, Hey, in a couple of weeks on a Saturday, we love to get together or something like that. And I, I know some of that seems sort of obvious and it, and it still might be tough to kind of actually flesh it out. But I've just realized that even more so moving out here, I've had to be more intentional as opposed to if you're in a neighborhood or a suburb or live in town uh, in, in an urban community where you just 
happened to walk outside and you're walking your dog, you'd run into five friends within a, a 15 minute walk. Right. Um, it's extremely challenging when, you know, you don't even run into them and you have to be very purposeful to, to call. Now, Michael and obviously is a lot more like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I don't want to sound crass or be a wet blanket and be a downer, but like if I passed away, you know, I think she'd be perfectly fine out here on the farm <laughs> and her sister and you and a couple other people would come visit her every once in a while and, and life would be just fine. She'd be her. fine. And You're so married to the I, most introverted introvert yeah. I've ever seen. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So if it were the opposite, um, I think that, you know, how people live in the suburb and they buy like a cabin, you know, to go to on the weekends or buy a beach house to kind of get away. Yeah. I would probably still live here, but my getaway or my vacation <laughs> home would be, you know, an apartment in Manhattan or That's something awesome. like that. Like I would have to have escapes to run into people and just like have a weekend of just nothing but like total conversations. And then I'd have to come back to my little farm and um where there's no animals um but you know ride my four-wheeler and fish and hunt and that kind of thing and uh, i have found out that little side note parenthetical thought i have found i've discovered that either i'm getting older and more you know grumpy and crunchy and and old or i don't know and or i i i've realized being out here and having a lot more alone or secluded solitude that I'm not as extroverted as I thought I have been all my life. And so um, friendships are going to look different to people who are extroverted as opposed to people who are introverted. And so I would say I can't really answer that question on an individual basis to your listener, but I will say the listener has to know who they are. And um, if they're a real extroverted person and it's still a challenge, maybe you have too high of an expectation. Hmm. And if you're an introvert and it's hard, maybe you need to find that one friend that you do know, even though you may not see them very often, but find that friend that you do have in your life. And I would guess that most introverts do have that one extroverted friend and be a little bit more, be willing to kind of be a little risky and say, you know, I need to get a lot, get out a little bit more. And, you know, I, I know I don't, see you very often i don't see a lot of people very often but like would you plan something for us right, you know right. like if you plan let's, it I let's will say come. the you know the the first sunday of every month sunday evening we're we're gonna get together for coffee or we're gonna like would you just help me you know yeah um so i would say the answer kind of to that is just the, the listener has to know who they are and they need to figure out if they need help being pulled or they need to realize that they have too high of expectation and they need to kind of chill out, yeah. you know, and, and, and maybe solitude is helpful for them, you know. And there's something so. too about, um, I remember you saying one time that sometimes we have, this is just a random conversation we were having and you said something about, um, how often we kind of inflate parts of our personality. Like you just said, you've thought that, um, maybe you thought you were more extroverted than you are or that you needed more interaction mm-hmm. than you necessarily do. And we do that a lot, I think, mm-hmm. with our personalities that we kind of aggressively mm-hmm. lean into parts of them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time, um, you know, I see, especially with, I think this is probably, I would assume more true with women than it is with men, maybe not, but um, there's just 
it's hard to, um, be content with having, let's say three friends like, okay, if I'm going to mm-hmm. get together with friends, it's, th- it's me and three people. Like that's, that's what it looks like. Um, being okay with that when you see other people doing friendships so differently, do, having like, right. you know, does it like just so many friends, um, that they, you know, go on vacation with, and they have like these elaborate girls weekends with like a dozen people and, um, and those are beautiful things. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And it's not that those things aren't real, but I think that, um, so often we look at the way other people are doing, well, just about anything, but the way people are doing relationship and it looks so much better than what we think we have. And therefore we think we're doing it wrong. And it's really just that yeah. people are different. Like you just, people are different and it doesn't make you a bad friend or an unlikable person because you have a fraction of the relationships that, you know, Sally next door has, that doesn't mean anything for you. That has no bearing on your value right. as a person, as a friend. And I think we just get too hung up on that sometimes. So let me, um, as we kind of wrap up, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Um, and these can be whatever kind of answers you want, but can you tell me something, um, recently that you love something you need and something you hate? I need, I need music every day in some form, like, and whatever mood I'm in, I mean, you would probably be really surprised at my, uh, you know, vast array of music appreciation. Like I might be listening to something that's very hard and, you know, I grew up in the eighties. So obviously I'm going to say that we probably had the best music ever. Of course. Of course Um, you're going to say that. So um, but you know, I like you too. I like Coldplay. I like, um, you know, uh, I love the standards. Like that's one person, a question was asked me one time, you know, who have you never seen in concert that you would love to see? And I said, well, I've never seen you two and I would love to see you too. But I was like, another one is I'm never going to get the chance. And I would love to have seen Frank Sinatra. Like I love the standards. Yeah, so, man. you know, I even like, you know, the modern, um, Michael Buble. I yeah. like that music. Yeah. Um, you know, my parents, I can remember my parents listening at Christmas to Johnny Mathis. I love the old stuff. Um, cheesy as it is, you know, the Carpenters or, um, you know, it just, I'm, I have such, I don't really lean a whole lot into hip hop, but I do like R&B, old R&B. So I, in whatever mood I'm in, and I love worship music too, blah, blah, blah. But like, I just know that even if it's a few songs that I listen to on my way to where I'm driving, um, I've got to, I've got to have some music. I need some music in my life every day. Awesome. Um, so that's one thing. Okay. What do I hate? Um, yeah, I can get, I can get in a lot of trouble saying (laughs) some of this. Um, I don't, uh, I don't deal very well with drivers who should not have a license because mm. they don't know what they're doing. Right. Um, oh boy. You can leave um, it there. That's fine. You can walk away. Yeah, That's a good answer. Not go there. <laughs> that, that could be, I could kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I could, I'm not even Catholic and I may have to go to confession, <laughs> you know, if I go down that road. Um, what do I love? Um, I, I love, um, 
I love meat and chocolate. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, um, you know, like I, a good steak that's done really well. And I had one a couple weeks ago with a friend. And it's even better when it's with a, a man dude friend that, you know, we do you grunt at each other while you're eating? And we <laughs> learned about bourbon whiskey and we had a great steak. And it was expensive, but it was worth every dime. And I loved just that whole environment. I love learning about story because I, I did. We did the Kentucky Bourbon Tour or oh, Kentucky cool. Bourbon Trail, yeah. me and a buddy. And I loved learning about the history. I'm a sucker for learning history um, and the stories of people who, you know, fought hard for something that they believed in. And they left a legacy. And so, yeah, I love that. That's, that's awesome. sort of recent, so I'm going to say that. That could change next week. That's what I love. That's how it goes. We're supposed to change. It's fine. That's so good. Yeah. I love those. Um, okay. Well, Chad, I'm so grateful that you did this. This was so great. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. And um, I have no doubt, no doubt that people listening, especially parents um, who are like <laughs> – just sort of wading through the scary muck or maybe even just looking at it. Like they haven't had kids yet, but they want to. And it really is a terrifying thing. Like everything changes because you have people like human people to take care of mm-hmm. that depend on you. Um, but it really is, um, you've, you've shared a lot of freedom for people today and I'm really grateful for that and excited about that. And I think that's really exciting. So thank you for taking the time. Oh, good. Um, I, for, for not sounding selfish, cause this is your podcast and all about you, but I will say for women who might be listening and maybe their husbands would like to be encouraged. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have the event coming up man time yeah. and they can find out more about that at mantime.us or dot us. You know, mantime.us. Um, and there's a chance that when this is released, that because it's mantime's in April. Okay. Yeah. Is it that is. My... It's in, it's April 14, 15, 16. Okay. So, so there's yeah. a chance that mantime will have passed when this is released because frankly, I don't know when I'm going to do this because of this baby that's coming in five minutes. That being said, this is not a one-time thing that you do. They can also follow on Instagram. So yeah. There might be some Instagram uh, encouragement, you know, for them. So that's just take out the dot. So it's at man time us. At man time us. And um, I really would encourage, um, because this is the second time, is this the second time you've done man time, the man time weekend? Second overnight. Okay. It's the third man time, but yes, the second one that's the full weekend. And you, you feel know? like this is this is something that you will do again too, right? We will do it and we're actually looking to expand it to where, you know, we were doing it once a year. I think now we're looking to do it or at least have under the flagship of man time have different events multiple events that are going to happen this year. That's so um, awesome. They might not be look the same way, but there might be just day events. We're looking at doing a father and son thing. We're looking at doing maybe um, an off-site man time thing that's still man time, but not here at our property, but we might try to organize something uh, and experience off-site. So we're trying to plan that um, man time 
as as an entity will um, have multiple events this year. That's fantastic. So mantime dot us, and I'll put that in the um, mm-hmm. in the show notes of the of the website. So people can click on that and wives can click on it and then send it to their husbands. Cause that's so, it's such a, it's such a wonderful thing. That's one of my favorite things about you and Michael and is, um, that's been really, I hate the word inspiring, but has been really inspiring for me just to see people who like they, they have uncovered what it is that they love doing and Mm -hmm. that can change over time. But you guys have, have found what you love to do, but you're finding your own way to do it. You know, you're doing it Mm -hmm. and what fits with your life and with where you are. And, um, it's just really exciting for me. And I know for other people to see that, um, we don't have to do things the way everybody else is doing them, that you can have a passion for something and just create your own thing. You know, it's, um, it's just a, it's so fun to watch. So that's exciting that you're expanding. That's, that's just great news. Well, Chad, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I hope you um, have fun making your, filling your farm with goats. I, I hope so too. Thanks guys for listening. We have sadly missed this spring's man time, but we'll put links to the website and Instagram account um, in this episode's show notes at thelazygeniuscollective.com slash podcasts. If I were a dude, I would totally go to man time. So you should check it out. We'll be back next week with Addie Jones, a designer for anthropology and all around creative rock star. If you enjoy listening to the Lazy Genius podcast, so glad you're here. Um, If you haven't subscribed yet, uh, we have a few more episodes left. You can uh, be sure to not miss any of those. And if you haven't left us a review, it's honestly not too late. Those matter all the time, anytime. So thanks for taking the time to do that. Thank you even more for being part of the Lazy Genius Collective, and we'll see you next week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.